0: Now, over to Pastor Steve.
1: We are in the fourth message of Foundation Stones, which just happens to be part three of the original part one that wasn't going to have a part two or a part three that I call In Formation. In Formation. Information has the opportunity to give you in formation. And I want you to be formed on the inside. This is us leaning into these foundational principles that God has for us specifically, the beloved family. This series was birthed from the reality that I knew that there's a lot of folks that are a part of our family now that really haven't been a part of the family for the whole 12 years of who we've been. And so they didn't get a lot of the in formation that other people got. And when you have a diversity of doctrine and theology in a room, it's gonna be really hard to be in the unity of the faith. And so I believe that the Lord had led us to get to the place where we're gonna establish foundational principles foundational doctrines foundational theology for who we as beloved are in our culture and then we're going to know you know every every authentic family does this you know when you when you're a kid you know your dad or your mom says we're castles and castles don't do that you know we're this we're that and this is this is the way that God actually led his family. If you remember, he picked Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm gonna have a brand new family, brand new nation, starting with you. And he said, okay, now, you are the people of Israel. You are, you are my people, my chosen generation, my, my special people, Abraham. All the world is gonna be blessed through you. Now, here, Abraham, here's a couple things. I'm gonna bless you for you to be a blessing. And you can imagine Abraham, okay, check. This new nation, this new people that God's forming from me are people that are going to be blessed to be a blessing. Got it, check. God did this right from the get-go with everybody. Jesus came, the first thing he did was preach after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. Here's the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters. This is this is our identity. This is our culture. This, this is the new way that we're going to do it. It's different from the old way. You've heard it said in the old, by the old timers that, um, that an eye for an eye and a tooth to a tooth. But I tell you, Jesus says, I'm laying the foundation for this new people, this new doctrine, this new culture, this Christianity culture, and I'm telling you that you should turn the other cheek. You've heard it say of the old people that you know, if you got a woman and she ain't right, just divorce her. Get her down the road. Jesus lives in forgiveness and challenged all of these things for the rest of his ministry. How many times should I forgive, Lord? Seven times in a day? You Don't you know Peter was like, whoop, whoop, I'm really way out there because I'm super cool Peter. Jesus said seven times. How about 70 times seven? My wife? <laughs> yeah. Jesus laid the culture for what he was creating in you and I. And now we have a Christianity that doesn't really have a culture that was laid down by Jesus. We have tradition. We have doctrine that came from denominations. You got, there's people in this room, God bless you, that you've been Catholics and you've been Methodist, you've been Baptist, you've been Pentecostal, you've been nothing. And we're supposed to all go together. A- a- amen. Well, it's going to be important for us to lay down some of these foundation things. These, this is what we're going to believe. You know, if we get to the thing like, hey, we believe that the Holy Spirit's a real person and he wants to live in your life, and you're like, what? My denomination taught me the Holy Spirit's dead. Okay, well, this is what we believe. Well, I can't do that. I'm out of here. Okay, praise God. Go to the church with the dead Holy Spirit. I mean, if that's your thing. But we're, we have a living Holy Spirit. He, he's alive today. He's working in some of you, and some of you, he's working in you too much. You get all shaky sometimes. <laughs> I didn't even look over there. What makes a fruitful tree the, is a healthy root system. What makes a safe building is a strong foundation. What's going to make a strong beloved is good foundation stones. The foundation of our life is our character. People know who you are by how you live. And the thing is, is that the more intimate, the closer you get to people, the more you can't fake it. This is why a lot of people won't get close to other people. Because they don't want to, you know, they try real hard to come into an environment, just hide in the back row. Like, don't look at me. I'm really Christian. You see my cool Christian clothes? Yep. They're not going to invite you to their house and spend six hours. I'm going to move on. Almost said something about an animal right there, and that would have been deathly. The foundation of our life is our character. The weaker the character, the more fragile the person. Has anybody paid attention? We have some of the most fragile people that we've ever seen in our entire human history. I mean, there are people like you touch them and their snowflake just screams a bloody death. Oh, how dare you say that, that all truth, or that uh, truth is not fluid. Like, that's your truth. You know how many times on Facebook someone said, well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. It's truth. Truth is not, you don't have your truth and my truth. There's truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If it ain't true about Jesus, it ain't true. Amen, Amen. I know, there we go, getting all dogmatic. The weaker the character, the more fragile the person. We are not raising fragile people in beloved church. Amen. Amen. I'll give you all another chance. We're raising heroes around here. Wookie, okay. I like it. We, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're, we're decorating. This is the only kind of decoration that I'm up-thumb about. I I tolerate Jessica Smith and Kay Castle. They put pretty crap all over the place. I am utilitarian. If I can't take a screw out of the wall with it, why is it on the wall? (laughs) If I can't fix a car with it, why is it hanging on the wall? Because that's what I do. In my garage, I hang the tools on the wall so I can fix a car. They're hanging flowers and, I like this decoration because this will tell you what our culture is. So please go get you a a USB of soul success or King and Kingdom or the Hero Within. They're all now available and you can get some of the realities of what our culture is. That wall is gonna be our culture wall. Right, and all the people that call us a cult are gonna say like, they even got a culture wall at that cult, (laughs) yep. Yep, in case you didn't know, if you're brand new, if you're a visitor today, you're at a cult. Amen, Amen. but just so you know, any group that you're involved with is a cult. The word cult comes from culture. Your family is a cult because it embraces a specific culture. So we at Beloved, we embrace a specific culture. So we're a cult. We're not the bad use of the word, we're the good use of the word. We're in the Jesus cult. He's okay with it. The most exquisite and fortified castle is only as good as its foundation. I don't care how pretty it is. I don't care how much you like it. I don't care what color it is. I don't care how awesome a life that you built. If your foundation is weak, that sucker is going to topple. And it says in Proverbs, great shall be the fall of that building. If you spend 20, 30, 40 years building a building, that eventually is going to fall over, you're going to leave such an indentation in the earth when that sucker falls over that somebody may not be able to rescue you. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And there's a lot of believers that are building, they're hanging all of this stuff on, Stacy used the term Jenga this morning, if you've ever played Jenga, like you can make that sucker tall until you can't. And that's, that's like a lot of Christians are like, well, if I move this over here and, and put this here and the, the found it's one piece of wood on the bottom. It's going to fall. No, no, no. I'm good at Jenga. Okay. You can only go so far. And it will fall. You know what's really smart is to just knock the sucker over as soon as you know you need to have a good foundation. Build the foundation and then take off from there. Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is part of Jesus laying the foundation of the culture of Christ, the culture of Christianity. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Anybody want to be wise? Okay, well, half of y'all. The rest of you half were taking notes, so you're already wise. Who listens to my teaching and conjunction follows. Let me, let me, let me help you guys. Don't ever say this word to my wife. If you're taking notes, don't ever say this word to my wife. Sure. Some of the women in the room, you know, like, hey, will you do this for me? Sure. Amen. Only there's been a few times that I've drawn back a nub. I don't say sure, yes ma'am, yes. no ma'am, I'd love to, you're beautiful, <laughs> sure, you do not say 2K Castle, and, and I get it, it's an indifferent, it's kind of like this, this, it's almost like an attitude thing, yeah sure, whatever, if you ain't going to do it, say no, don't give me your fake. We're very authentic, we're very sincere people, if you don't know that about us. So, here's my version of sure. Don't ever say sure to Kay, here's what you don't ever say to Steve. I know. You know. You got it all figured out, why am I even talking? Just cut my own throat, because what's the point of me telling you this? because you obviously already know this, but you obviously don't know it because I'm telling you because there's fruit in your life that says you don't know this thing because you're not living in it. Yeah, but I know it. Don't say it to Steve Castle. You can think it. You can even send me darts right now. I'm saying it on the inside. Okay, whatever. Just don't say it out loud because I'm going to be like, you were there when I said it. Don't say I know. You might say, like, I have that information. I'm I'm working on getting that right in my life. I'm trying to get that sorted, you know. There's a lot of ways that you can respond, but just, I know, you know. Yep, I know all that. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I have to do it, too? It's not a quiz. You you, you don't get 90 and pass. This is life. You have to take this stuff and do it. The way that a person is wise is by hearing and following, doing, hearing and doing. So by default, you know what an unwise person is or a fool. It's a person who hears and don't do. No do do makes you a fool. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house, foundation on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. I do not want a single person in this room, even if you don't like me, I do not want a single person in this room to have a collapse. I love you more than you love me. I'll do anything for anyone. I've helped people that I know were my enemies. There are people right now that I know for a fact worked diligently to destroy us when I was suing the government. Diligently to destroy us. And I've seen those people since then and I've blessed them, I've loved some of them, I've given them money, I've helped them out, I've helped their families because I love people. I don't want anyone to be destroyed, whether you like me or not. Jesus is the same way. He's not like picking the winners and the losers. I do not want your house to collapse. Our foundation needs to be so solid that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what it is, the most terrible circumstance you could imagine, if that happens, I want you to survive it. I want you to be strong. I want your house built so good that no matter how big the storm, no matter how strong the winds, no matter how much water is in the flood, I want you to come out on the other side alive and healthy. But anyone who hears my, verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. You know, the person that built their house on the rock and the person that built their house on the sand had the same amount of energy building a house. Think about that. Because a lot of times we're like, well, I built this hard. I've spent lots of time and did this really, got all this money invested, all the, okay. And now you're telling me, hey, tear it down? Yep. It's wrong. You you built it in the wrong place. It's on the wrong foundation. Just because you got a lot of effort in it doesn't make it going to last through the storm. All I'm looking for is it going to last through the storm. Is it going to survive the flood? Is it going to be strong enough that when the problems of life come at you, you can survive? It's not, do you have more hours vested in building your house than I do? It's, did you build it on the right thing? You know, if you've got a shack, but it's on foundations, on on bedrock, A shack on bedrock is better than a mansion on sand. Man, that's a good truth. Verse 27, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse. God said, Jesus said, it will collapse. God said there are buildings that people build that collapse. He's not a false prophet. He's not mean. He's not picking on you. Hey, your house is going to fall over. Jesus, why would you say such a thing? Just tell me I'm pretty. Your house is going to fall over. You need to build a better foundation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight just pause real quick. The world's popularity does not make you popular. You know what I wanted to be in high school? Cool. I'm sure I'm the only one. You know I realized how ignorant that was after high school. I wanted to be cool with a bunch of people that, for the most part, I haven't seen any of those lose, I mean people, for decades, and I wanted to be cool. I allowed them to tell me how to make my life so that I could be what they wanted me to be, so that they would like me. Is that not the most ignorant thing anybody could ever do? I know none of you have ever done it. I, I know most of you, and... The majority of you are very uncool. So God bless you. <laughs> and me too. I got there uncool. My kids told me when I, we were, they were going up. They're not very cool, Dad. Praise God. <laughs> this is people's actual objective in life. And it's one thing to be 16 and try to be cool. Because you're just, at 16, the fact that you can wipe your, no. The fact that you can do math is incredible <laughs> at 16. Like your brain is still, the egg yolk hasn't even formed yet. And you're, I mean, you're, you ain't figuring out nothing. But when someone's 39 and they're trying to be cool, oh, oh my Lord, stop it. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men. You know what Jesus' version of cool is? Loved by the Father authentic, real, impacting the world, changing lives. To be cool to the Father is the only goal that Jesus had. So I no longer want to be cool to a bunch of dweebs. (laughs) Dweeb, I haven't, that's a good word. Dweeb. Just rolls off the tongue. I don't want to be cool to a bunch of dweebs. I want to be cool to my God. my dad I want him to be well pleased in me what if I please the whole world and God's like that's not what I wanted verse 5 you also you also same way Jesus is a living stone you also like living stones are built together into a spiritual house spiritual house God's not trying to form us into some natural, light, like you get over here and you get over here and. Ugh. It's, it's not, it's not this, this outside thing. This isn't the, as Dwayne Sheriff says, it's not the conformity of a haircut. You, I don't, you don't need to dress like me. You, please don't. It's not that. It's not going to be something on the, na- on the outside. Everybody's going to be like, oh, they must be Christians, right? Because they wear a cross. You know how many people aren't? (laughs) It's not something on the outside. This is a spiritual building that the Lord's making. It's your identity on the inside. You also, like living stones, are being being built. Being built. It's a work in progress. Anybody a work in progress? This guy. Work in progress. You know what happens with living stones? They move. Just hold still. Being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our job is to give sacrifices to God. Now that doesn't mean like, oh great, God wants me to write a check. That that is not, we're always so thinking that the authentic version of God's nature and his church is always about trying to take something from you to make your life worse. Why does that make sense? (laughs) If God is asking you to sacrifice something, it's gonna make your life better. God's asking you to give something, it's gonna make your life better. I can assure you, God is not in the business of ruining a bunch of people's lives. That's called Satan, and he's not God. We need to get these things right. God wants to bless you, make your life better, but sometimes he needs you to let go of some of the stuff you got or tear out foundations in order to bring and have what God wants you to bring and have. For the scripture, for it stands in Scripture, verse 6, see, I lay, a, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. That's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. You pull Jesus out, your building's fallen. Oh boy, I think I said that too fast and a bunch of y'all didn't hear me. You pull Jesus out, Your building is fallen. And there's a ton of folks that think that they've got life figured out and they slowly pulled Jesus out over 10 years because they let their first love go and they look like they're just, it's okay, we got it all figured out, honey. Me and you and no Jesus. You pull Jesus out and the building's on its way down. It's going down. And a lot of people, because they haven't seen the immediate collapse, think like, oh, this is okay. I'll survive this. I got it all figured out. No, you don't. You don't. It's falling. It's on its way down. You just can't see it. Anything you pull Jesus out of, you pull Jesus out of your finances, they're falling. You pull Jesus out of your health, it's fallen. You pull Jesus out of your soul, your emotions, it's falling. You're, it, whatever Jesus is pulled out of is falling see I lay in Zion a stone a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who believes in him will never God word never be put to shame never be put to shame that's humiliated Me having Jesus as the cornerstone of my life makes it so I never have to worry about being humiliated. In Isaiah 28, which is where Peter's quoting from right here, the term to put to shame in the Hebrew is the term for shaking or agitated. Being put to shame is the same as being shaken or agitated. Now you know how the world gets you into shame. They just keep shaking and agitating you until you finally do the thing. Now you're in shame. This it, It's so irritating to me, one of the tactics of the enemy. The enemy is like, hey, Zach, you should come and sin. No, I don't want to sin. Zach, Zach, come on, sin. You know, you'll. Your parents will never know, your kids will never know, your wife will never know, come sin with me. No, I don't wanna sin. Come on, nobody will know, it's just one drink. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Come on, you can do it just one time. Well, just one time? Yeah, just one time. And you're like, all right, well, I'll just do this this one time. And then you do it. And then the same devil says, I can't believe you just did that, you're a terrible person, you should, evil? You should be condemned. You're the one that told me to do it. Yeah, so I could condemn you. The same person that wants to condemn you is trying to talk you into doing the things that he wants you to condemn you over. Just say no to both. You know, when you say no to the temptation, you're actually saying no to the condemnation at the same time. We went into this. This is called paideia. Paideia is the system of building up in Greco-Roman society, the the full grown, mature, successful people in their society. This was such a big deal, that this lasted over a thousand years. Just to put that in perspective, America 250 years old. This system of raising successful people was in Greco-Roman society four times as long as our nations existed. The word paideia is used to describe a comprehensive, the word comprehensive means complete, thorough, extensive. It's used to describe a comprehensive process of education and formation, which means your heart, your mind, your body that is designed to produce a person who is wise, virtuous and capable of knowing and doing The good life. (laughs) It was a major part of Greco-Roman or Latin culture from the 6th century BC all the way to the 6th century AD, over a thousand years. Paideia was not just a system of education but also a way of life that emphasized the importance of self-discipline, self-control, moral virtue. Students were taught to be fair, just, and courageous. They were also taught to respect their elders and to love their country. Shocking. You know, like 50 years ago, you would not have been a young person in America and not known that you were supposed to respect your elders and love your country. It would have been as natural as apple pie. And now, neither of those things are valued let alone taught. And we wonder how we got to the place that we're at. Paideia had a profound impact on Greco-Roman culture. It, created, it helped to create a shared set of values. They all had a common foundation. And beliefs that helped to unite the Greek and Roman worlds. It also helped to produce some of the greatest thinkers and artists of the entire ancient world. And the reason I'm telling you about this Greco-Roman philosophy is because God chose to send Christianity right in the middle of that. Think about it. God could have sent Christ anytime. Christ could have been the firstborn of Adam and Eve. Why did Christ come when Christ came? Do you realize the entire world, at the time that Jesus showed up, there were some unique characteristics in our world. Basically, the entire known world had one language and they had paideia. They had a system already in place that you and I know as discipleship. These things were in place. Christ came, inaugurated the kingdom, said this is the kingdom, this is the way it is and then he gave it to 12 guys and he said now go change the world. If it would have been some other time in human history, it wouldn't have worked because it wouldn't have had the foundations in this culture, in the society that were necessary in order for them to propagate the kingdom in the whole known world. But because these guys, they were able to take through a common shared language and a common shared ideal of raising and developing people the totality of a people in a certain way, they were able to take the kingdom, the gospel, and throw it throughout the entire world. Paul covered nearly the entire Roman society in 30 years. And now we've let this stuff go. We have a we, Even inside churches, we don't have a shared language. And I know you think, we all speak English. There's more to language than just having the same words. Some of us don't even have the same language let alone the same way of raising up and discipling our own lives into what the kingdom of of God is supposed to look like in our lives. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. The natural state of your life, the non-resistant state of your life is conformity to the world. If you're not fighting the world, the world is conforming you. I'm just telling you, you are in a pressure cooker. The world is pressure cooking you to look just like they want you to look, burnt and dead. And if you are not fighting against the system of the world, by default, you are being conformed to it. I have seen this thousands of times in people's lives. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that's action. That's hearing and doing. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word renewing, we look at it kind of like refreshing, like I'm gonna renew this wall, I'm gonna paint it. That's not the word in the Greek. The word in the Greek is a compound word. It means to complete and to make new, which means to completely make brand new. You're not taking a 64 Mustang that you found in the cornfield behind somebody's house and you're going to restore it. Even if you make a bigger engine and put better tires and better brakes, it's not that's not renewed in the biblical term. The biblical term is there used to be a 64 Mustang and now God is making you a brand new 2024 Mustang. It, it's nothing like the old one other than it's a Mustang. That's the renewed here. What? If you get this in your way of thinking, it's not like God wants to take your way of thinking and just eh, just nudge it a little bit. You know, you, you, you used to be completely sold out to being cool in high school, so I want you to still be cool, just be a little bit cool in Christian terms. No, it's, that's done. You, you don't owe the world nothing Nobody there is now important the way they think, the way they believe, the way they're trying to pressure you. All of that is gone. Now there's an entire brand new way to think. You used to do math. You know, now we're going to do chemistry. I know they connect. It was a terrible example. But the point is, is that it's completely different. It's not God just trying to adjust your thinking a little bit. If I just get my thinking adjusted, I'll be tracking with Jesus. No. If the world taught it to you, it's wrong. It's wrong. Everything that they have to say, they, what they call love is wrong. What they call health care, dear Jesus. What they call economic system, God calls slavery. Like, think about everything that they name out there. They have nothing that they name. There's no ways of thinking that they have developed that are not literally built to destroy your life. You can't just change your way of thinking. This is complete renewal. Then you'll be able to test and to approve what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. I want this on record because some of you have asked about this so multiple times, I'm gonna give you the transformation recipe. And the reason I use the term recipe is because any of you that have ever cooked or baked, you know that a recipe is different than a formula. A recipe, you know, grandma made chocolate chip cookies. And I have never to this day, mom's tried to make me grandma's chocolate chip cookies 10,000 times and she ain't never done it. And, and it's not because mom's not a good cook, because I eat her cookies every Wednesday. She's a great cook. The problem is, is that grandma had a recipe. You know where grandma kept her recipe? And it was a pinch of this, and it was a handful of this, and it was this, and she mixed it, and it didn't look right, and then she did it again, and somehow she came out with basically the same thing at the end of it, and had no way of ever telling one anyone how to get there. Mom's got it wrote down. Mom's got the cookie recipe wrote down, and every time she makes it, it's not grandma's cookies. A recipe has that unique, intimate part of the Holy Spirit being a part of it. So this is not, a, pre- this is not a, a principle, this is not a formula, these are not the steps, this is not anything like that. The reason I'm using the word recipe is because you and the Holy Spirit are going to have to work these things out. So the first part of this recipe is information. Information is the necessary ingredient, first ingredient that you're going to use to get to the transformation that you and I desire. If you, nobody's ever given you information that God wants you to be divinely healthy, you can't transform into divine health. You have to have the information. Wait a minute, God wants me to be divinely healthy? Yeah, he took stripes so you could be healed. <gasps> what, nobody's ever told me that. Ta-da, now you have information. So do you immediately take information and turn it into transformation? Oh <laughs> God, no. Some of you have had this information. Well, I know that, right? Because I tell people, hey, you should be, you should live in divine health and, and not allow sickness and disease, and you should and you should fight these stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. It's gonna go over here while you go to the hospital. Information is the first step. You have to take information and then you mix it with, you put it in the bowl, and you knead it together with meditation. Meditation is absolutely essential. No meditation, no cookies. You've got to put meditation in there. And I've heard people say, well, how much? Better ask the Holy Spirit. Now, for the most part, everybody in this room has had basically the same information over the last year, two, three, however long you've been here. But there are different types of cookies that have popped out. Some of you ain't even made a cookie. You just got a burnt thing on the bottom of the pan. Why? What's different? Because you haven't taken all the pieces of the recipe and put them together in order to come out with the end result. Meditation is a necessary component to baking the totality of transformation. So you have to have information and you put it with meditation. Meditation means to sit and think and think and think and think and think and think. think. Quietly, undistractedly, with the TV off. (gasps) I know. Try it one time. You'll like it. You will know that you're getting to the end of meditation when the information turns into revelation. That's how much meditation you need to put into. So someone gives you the information, hey, God wants you divinely healthy. Okay, I'm gonna think about that. 1 Peter 2, 24, Matthew 8, 17, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Okay, okay, I see that, I see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see the Lord on the cross. I bet you he does want me healthy. Yep, he took stripes. There's no reason for him to take stripes if it wasn't really for my health. Because if it was just about him dying, he could have just went on the cross. So the stripes actually must really mean something. Okay, I get that, bam, revelation. Now it's yours. Now it's not Pastor Steve's. Now it's yours. It belongs to you. Revelation. Now, revelation is not transformation. But revelation is the very next necessary step. After you have revelation, then you have to have activation. activation. Because hearing without doing makes you a fool. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said it. Don't get mad at me. You got to do it. All right. How's this look? I don't know. For you, it might look different than it does for someone else. I can't tell you how many times I've had hundreds of people walk up to me. Okay, I'm supposed to be divinely healthy. Should I throw my medicine away? No. Well, why not? Because you asked me. If you wouldn't have asked me, maybe. Maybe. But because you asked me, that means that you're not completely revelatory in your own heart about it. Because if it was revelatory to you, you would have known that you know that you know that the Holy Spirit said to do this. You have to put activation into your revelation. When you put activation into your revelation and you do that consistently over time, you will have transformation. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges. Well, I don't want to be judged. Well, then don't read the Bible. (laughs) It judges. This word for judges means to discriminate. It discriminates your thoughts. The word of God will come in and say, that thought, not a good thought. That's a bad thought. That one over there, that's a good thought. Praise God. Wouldn't that be nice to have something in your life say, hey, that's a bad thought, that's a good thought. Think these, don't think these. Oh, okay. The the word of God is for our advantage. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Wouldn't you love Pastor Steve to follow you around and say, that's stupid and that's good. Someone raise your hand. I'm bored tomorrow. I'm bored tomorrow. Follow you around. Oh, shouldn't have done that. It judges the thoughts, and this word for thought in the Greek is the emotional force that drives your meditation and reflection. Man. The emotional force. You know, the Word of God is aware of your emotions. The Word of God is also aware of how powerful your emotions are. Good and bad. Good emotions can help you be bold and courageous and do and do heroic things. Bad emotions can make you stay fearful and wear a mask and stay in the basement and stay six 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 feet apart. (laughs) The thoughts, the intentions. The intentions are the settled parts of you. There's your attitudes. Your personal moral standards. You know, everybody in here has a different moral standard. There's one person in here who's like, ah, oh, you know, I can cuss as much as I want because they do it at work all the time. Another person over like, I haven't cussed in 20 years. I would never use my tongue that way. Different moral standards. How do you have two different moral standards in the same culture? Because of how you've been trained, how you've learned. The word of God will decide, will literally go down there and cut that and say, no, 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 the moral standard of our life should be the word of God. It's not what you think, and it's not what I think. should be the word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin, the sin that does so easily entangle, and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. I'm not going to get into context because I'll just take off and probably never land a plane. But Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. It's just filled with examples of people in the Old Testament of of finishing their race, of winning their race, of accomplishing huge world-changing things for God. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 is pointing to Hebrews chapter 11. And so it's saying, since you're surrounded by all of these victorious saints who have gone and done all these incredible things, you're surrounded by those people, so then you need to run your race. Please note that it's a race of endurance. You know what an endurance race is? Marathon. Yeah. When I was in high school, the track coat, I had to go out for track because the football coach knew that if I didn't go out for track that I would just go and do stupid crap. I eventually went and did stupid crap anyway, showed him, but the couple years that I was tracking good, I went out for track. And I was slow. It's hard to say, humility. Where's Ryan when I need him? I was slow. And so the track coach was like, well, you know, even slow people can race. Like really, how's that? It's like you could do cross country. Like, all right, I like country and I like the cross. <laughs> <laughs> so the track coach, the cross country coach, put us all in the back of This will tell you how long ago this was. He put us all in the back of a pickup, a school pickup, one of the one of the groundskeeper pickup trucks. There was like 15 of us in the back of his pickup truck. He drove like 10 miles out of town down White Oak Road, and he kicked us all out of the truck. See you at the school. There was nowhere along there to take a cigarette break. There was no water fountains. There wasn't a Casey's anywhere to be seen. So we had to run all the way back. And you know what I figured out when I got back to the school? I don't like cross country. (laughs) So now the coach is stuck because Steve's slow, so he can't sprint, and he won't do cross-country because he's a self-centered jerk. Now what's he gonna do? He came up with a great plan. He's like, well, why don't you run the 800? It's not a sprint, but it's not a long race. And I'm like, "Right. you know what else Steve Castle don't like? The 800. Because it's not a sprint, and it's not a long race. You know, if you're sprint, you just get out there, you run as fast as you can, and, you know, at the end of it, you're, ugh. If it's a long race, you just, you know, take a cup of coffee and listen to your, your iTunes and, and just go on. Just truck down the road, and it's all good. But 800 is like, do you run fast, or do you run three-quarter fast? Do you, do you slow down? Do you save your energy? Do, 800 is worse than everything. So after the 800, I went back to cross country. I'm like, just don't make me do that again. I'll do that. The race that God wants us to to, to run is going to have moments in it that you might have to sprint hard. They're going to bring the COVID back on you. Sprint hard, but then there's times it's 800 where you're not like you're not full out, but you you got a lot going on, and 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 it's hard to do that because you got to measure your energy. And and but then there's times it's cross country. You're just out there getting it, doing it. The race that God wants us to run is that long endurance race that are gonna have those moments, and the only way we're gonna do it is by throwing off the anchors. You could not run cross country. If I put a parachute on your back and put you in a 10 mile an hour wind, I don't care how awesome you are, you ain't getting to the school. You're gonna die on White Oak Road. You'll just be dead. You're not getting there. And how many believers are trying to run their race right now with the parachute of they've got addictions and they've got bad attitudes and they've got fears and they've got insecurities and they've got all these things They're pulling and they're running as hard as they can. And it, you turn around three years later and you're like, am I in the exact same spot? Yeah, you are. Well, what do you need to do? Well, Steve needs to come along, Pastor Steve needs to come along with a great big Rambo knife and he needs to cut the parachute. And then you'll still be able to run. Now, you might not be faster than somebody else, but you at least you'll get back to the school. Getting back to the school is better than not. And until we cut off these encumbrances, we're not going to get there. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. He's the goal. He's what we're focused on. He's the finish line. Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners. Whenever you think like it's bad for you and it's really hard, think about Jesus. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, you can. I've been trying this long time, pastor. I I just don't think I can do it. No, 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 no. You're not going to grow weary. You're not losing heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. (laughs) I wrecked my time, but let me tell you this. That sin is a noun, hamartion. And this is identity, not verb action. We need to make sure that we get this right. It's identity, root, creates fruit. If you have bad fruit in your life, you don't go kicking the fruit, you change the root. Because if you just pull all the fruit off the apple tree, guess what it's going to do in about nine months? And there's a bunch of Christians jerking fruit off their tree like, I hate these fruit. Why do I do these things? And they pull them off, and they're like, all right, got it. And then nine months later, like, what happened? It's an apple tree. It makes apples. The identity on the inside of you is what produces your actions. If you don't like your actions, don't do (laughs) self-help. Do transformation. (laughs) Verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. God talks to you as children, his children. My son, do not take lightly the paideia of the Lord. Listen to me. I'm going to just read through these. I want you to listen. This is how important this principle is, paideia. My son, do not take lightly the paideia of the Lord and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. For the Lord paideia, the one he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. Endure suffering as paideas. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not paidead by his father? Furthermore, we have all had earthly fathers who paidead us, and we respected them, should we not much more submit to the father of our spirits and live. Our fathers paidead us for a short time as they thought best but God paideia's us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. No paideia seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been paideia by it. If you see here, sin is the thing trying to stop you from winning your race. Sin is personified as an adversary. Sin, whether you, whether within you, leading you to spare your blood or in your adversaries, leading them to shed your blood. This personified enemy that you have is sin. We want to pick on the devil. We want to pick on Satan all the time, but it's the identity on the inside of you that is your war. (laughs) My only enemy is me. Don't make me play Andy Minio again. At Beloved Church, as part of our foundation stones, we give permission for Jesus to bring his paideia into our lives. This is going to happen through the word, through the spirit, and through the kingdom culture that we all share together in love and unity. This is a lifelong process. We're always going to be children to our father. I don't care how old you are, you're still a child to God. He's going to want to pade us for the rest of our lives. And it's going to take a culture surrounding us. It's going to take the word of God and the spirit of God to do that. You, mix, you miss one of those, you're going to not have what God wants you to have in order to be brought up into the full grown mature person with the foundation that is solid against everything that comes against your life. All right. I'd like to bless you. So please rise.